I don't know what kinds of things you might keep around your spaces, your, your home, your room, your office to help lift your heart, you know, to encourage or inspire you. But one of those things for me are personally written words. You know, cards and letters, inscriptions on the insides of books, little notes from various friends that have spoken to me in a meaningful way over the years. I keep stashes like this around everywhere because they remind me of things that matter. This morning, we are returning to our study through the book of Philippians. Now, some of the context to know is that this book isn't just a book like you'd go pull off the shelf of a library or throw into your cart on Amazon. It's not a book of philosophical thoughts. It's a letter of personal heart from the Apostle Paul to a group of his friends in the city of Philippi. Now, the context of friendship matters, both in terms of the content Paul offers, as well as the tone in which he offers it. You know, Jeff noted last week that Paul spends the first chunk of the book just gushing on the Philippians and his love for them. Verse 7 is actually one of my favorites in the Bible, saying, It's right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. That's how I like to hold my friends. Now, it's worth noting that friendship was a much more significant matter in Greco-Roman culture than it tends to be today. You know, friendships were entered into consciously, almost contractually, much more like intentional covenants than casual camaraderie. They were entered into with an expectation that the space of the friendship would change the individuals within it, providing mutual growth, benefit, and transformation. So this is a personal letter written in the context of both affection and deep intention. Now, the Philippian church was a community that Paul had helped to establish 10 years earlier, beginning with the fiery faith of a woman named Lydia. You can read about that story and the beginning of this church in Acts chapter 16. But now it's about 10 years later, and Paul is no longer together with his friends, talking about Jesus and forming new faith circles. Instead, he finds himself under extreme threat, locked away in a Roman jail for preaching love, awaiting trial and sentencing from one of the most brutal and bloodthirsty regimes in the ancient world. Now, I don't know how your 2023 is going so far. You know, what the battles and griefs, the struggles and challenges may have already been in this new year, or the ones that are yet to come. But whatever they are, as you hold them in your mind, let's remember that this is the place from which Paul is speaking to the Philippian church and speaking to us today. From under the weight of chains on the floor of a prison cell in the literal hands of darkness. Now, I can imagine the words I'd be tempted to write from the center of those circumstances. I can imagine the tone of the letters I'd be writing and who I'd be writing them to. Paul doesn't go to any of the places I think I'd be tempted to go. He writes tenderly to his friends. He pours out hope, and he issues them a clarion call. It starts in verse 27. Whatever happens, whatever happens, The subtext, of course, is that Paul is saying very clearly, yes, stuff is going to happen. 
all of the stuff that you don't want to happen, all of the stuff that presses you to your limits, all of the stuff that interrupts the good work and the good life and the good plans that you had going. Painful stuff is going to happen. Now, I'll pause just to ask, like, do you ever have people try to speak to you to offer you advice on how to get out of a place that they've never actually been in? Now, I wouldn't say there's no value in that. Good truth can come from a lot of direct, different directions. But there is something far more powerful when someone speaks from the well-worn path of a personally traveled road. You know, I listen to that differently. I am forced to weigh it differently, even when I don't think it sounds reasonable on the surface. And so for everything we just mentioned, we know that it is from a uniquely informed place that Paul is speaking. And from underneath that mountain of personal pain, from right inside the iron grip of everything that can go wrong is currently going wrong, Paul says, what I'm about to say to you applies no matter what. Paul gets to say whatever happens and have it mean something. So what does he have to say? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The NLT translates that line as live as citizens of heaven. You live as those who belong to a higher order than the world you can see with your eyes. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence. See, Paul wanted to be with them. That was his desire. But he's acknowledging that stuff is happening. And he's not so sure anymore how anything's going to work out. So then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So he tells them, this is what it means to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It means to stand firm, to strive together, and to not be afraid. So those are the things we're going to look at today. So first he tells them to stand firm. I listened to a message uh, on this passage by Alita Friesen from the Way Church in Vancouver, and in it she talked about how in the original language, the phrase stand firm was actually a military term. So it's something much deeper than simply standing up or being still like in a contemplative way. It's a strong military term, meaning to firmly stay in a fixed position kind of conjures up the image of an experienced warrior on the front lines of an intense battle raging all around them, who's called to ignore all of their natural instincts to run away or frantically fight, to tumble into the chaos, and to instead plant their feet firmly in the ground and hold the line, to stay steady in the middle of the war and not be moved in spite of all the powerful forces flailing around them, trying to move them to stand firm. And it's not just stand firm anywhere, wherever you happen to find yourself. It's not a call to freeze. But to stand firm very specifically in the one spirit, Paul says. Now, some translations have that sentence reading, in one spirit, without the, which could make it sound like Paul is just talking about unity here. You know, stay in one spirit together. And he is going to talk about unity and togetherness. 
Now, first, he's establishing something else even more important. He is telling his Philippian friends that the key to living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, whatever happens, is to stand firm and not lose your ground, your grounding in the spirit and love of Christ, in the spirit. That is our foundation, the center, the the well from which our truest being flows, and the only place from which any standing firm is ever going to happen. He is calling the Philippians and us to keep ourselves firmly anchored into the presence and love of Jesus, which is fully ours every minute of every day, even, maybe especially, in the midst of battle. And then from that place, planted firmly in the one spirit individually, he then calls them to strive together, to contend as one man, some versions say, for the faith of the gospel, which means for the life of love, the way of Jesus that is intended to turn this world and all its broken systems upside down and inside out with love, with courage, with hope, with peace, in the face of every obstacle to turn war into love. And Paul is telling them that they can only do that together. Now, the same way that the only foundation they can do it from is from anchored into the spirit, tapped into a completely different kind of power than any power the world offers. Now he's also telling them they cannot do it alone. Love is only and always a team sport. It is you and me and us together drawing strength from one another. It does not happen any other way. It cannot happen any other way. But also, I think Paul believes that when we're together and in the spirit, it can't not happen. Now, good can't not win from inside that holy mix. Whatever happens. And so Paul is calling them strongly to lean all the way in to the spirit and to one another. It's a beautiful picture, right? Easy peasy. We could do these things. What could possibly go wrong? Verse 28 continues, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Oh, that. (laughs) There are two giants in that sentence, fear and those who oppose you. I used to think that hatred was the opposite of love. It makes sense. It seems like the emotion on the other end of the spectrum to the warm fuzzies. But hatred still has quite a bit of emotion attached to it, which kind of gives away the fact that there's still a tie present between two hearts, a connection, as frazzled as it may be. More often now, I I think of apathy more as the opposite to love. You know, if I don't even care enough to have a negative emotion about you, I mean, that's a pretty cold disconnection between us. It's almost an erasure of existence. But 1 John 4.18 tells me that both of my definitions are wrong. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. <laughs> Scripture tells us that fear is actually love's opposite. And that it's fear that pushes love out again and again and again. They are incompatible states of being, fear and love. When I am well-centered in love, fear simply evaporates. Even when it doesn't make logical sense, it just is. 
There is no fear present when we are in love. I think we see that in Paul on the floor of that prison cell, awaiting a death sentence, who is only emanating love and hope and a call to courage. It makes no sense, and yet it is. That's the power of love. And conversely, whenever I let fear take over, love suddenly starts to dissolve in my hands, both the ability to receive and to give it. And and that would be hard enough, but the problem is because God is love, that love is the only true lens to look through. And so when we slip out of love and slide into fear, it messes with our vision and we immediately get confused about who the enemy is. I mean, Paul says it clearly, there will be opposition, but your enemy is not your enemy. The one opposing you is never the person standing on the opposite side of whatever imaginary line you have in your mind. No matter what the conflict on the surface is, no matter what the war looks and sounds like, It's not your brother, your sister, your friend, your lover, your government, the person who hurt you, the circumstances around you. Your enemy is not the person fighting you, even though they're fighting you. The one opposing you every time is fear. Fear is the obstacle. It is the war. Even when it comes to you in the shape of another person, Now, that shape is just a shadow puppet of your own wounds and baggage and struggles that are trying to take you down roads that you weren't made for. Now, fear of judgment, fear of rejection, fear of being wrong, scarcity fears of not having or getting what we need to breathe and live the life we long for, all trying to pull us out of the one spirit of love. And fear is doing the very same thing to the other party at the very same time. And whenever we are out of harmony with someone, fear is at play in some form. And so we need to do battle with the real enemy. And we need to shore up our muscles of centering down in love so that we can see straight. Because the enemy is fear and fear only gets displaced by love. That is the gospel for which we are to contend together. Now, Paul writes this letter from the center of his own massive trials to remind the Philippians that they are stronger than the obstacles in front of them, and that by returning to a center and a lens of love, the light will indeed win out over the darkness. It really is possible. Even the impossible becomes possible when love walks in the room, whatever happens. And then Paul goes on to say, and just FYI, in case you're thinking all these struggles mean somehow you're way off course, don't be discouraged. This is actually the way we come to both know and reflect Jesus more deeply. Verse 29 explains, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. But you didn't think of it as a privilege, eh? It sure doesn't feel like a privilege in the moment. Obstacles struggles, pain. And yet, how else do we expect to have the heart of Christ fashioned within us 
than by following in the footsteps of Jesus, who loved so deeply it was unto the point of death. There is a level of love and holiness that can only be glimpsed through the eyes of suffering. And that is never a cognitive learning. It only comes deep in the bones of heartbreak and struggle. And that is both an individual call and a community one together. To struggle along with one another, not against one another, but with one another. In every circumstance, in every feels way too difficult spot, to find each other in the trenches of self-sacrificing love, and then to help each other step out of fear and all the way into love together. It is the only way, and it is the everything. Paul is offering courage to say, the opposition you're feeling is not because you're failing and not because God has abandoned you. He's saying, this is exactly where we get the chance to come to both know Jesus better and to be better formed into his embodiment in the world. If we will take the chance, if we can choose love over fear, standing firm in the one spirit, striving together. Then as a final postscript on this section, Paul returns back to the personal affection and connection in which he began, reminding his friends that even though he is not with them, he is with them. Verse 30 says, we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know I'm still in the midst of it. Again, with courage. You know, he tells them that they're not alone even when it feels that way. He reminds them to look to his own struggles, and rather than being discouraged by them, to take a strength of heart from his example, to feel the, the camaraderie of kinship even in the midst of hardship. He reminds them that not only is the center of God's love right there to hold them fast, but that he's there too, alongside of them in heart. And this is exactly how we together can do the very same thing with and for one another, how we can help call one another to live a life worthy of the gospel that we have received, to stay centered and stand firm in the one spirit, which is love. So where are you sitting these days on the spectrum from fear to love? How is that showing up in your life? I'll admit I'm struggling, sometimes hard. I don't know why the struggle is so much easier to feel than the truth, which is actually bigger and brighter. There's a line from an Indigo Girls song from a million years ago that says, while darkness has a hunger that's insatiable and lightness has a call that's hard to hear. I feel that. Fear can get loud in the midst of struggle, in the face of things not going the way they're supposed to go, for all of us. That's why we need each other so much. I need voices to call me back into the center of love from which I have been born, and into the fullness of the gospel that we have received. We not only can be, we need to be that voice to each other, you know, to wrestle along with each other instead of against each other. All of the strength and the love in the world is right here in the middle of the mess and the majesty of community. Just waiting for our courage to call out and dive in together, whatever happens. Jesus, we thank you that you are 
so deeply compassionate, that you are filled with love, that you push out fear. Would you show us how to open our hands and our hearts and our eyes more and more deeply to you through one another in a way that we really can lean in to your gospel of love and watch the fear dissolve in our midst. Whatever happens, in you we pray. Amen.